Welcome to Game Changers, the show that's about playing by your own rules when it comes to your career. Join us as we speak with people who have taken the road less traveled and found their niche. I'm your host, Seth Robinson. It's a bit of a process as opposed to going, oh, well, I must be an entrepreneur and I must have a unicorn business in a year, which is kind of virtually impossible. It puts a lot of pressure on. So lean in and have a little, you know, um, have, a, have a tinker around and take the pressure off. Sport, it's something that brings people, cities, and countries together. We live through our team's highs and lows, feeling their victories and losses. We worship heroes and celebrate the underdog. But on and off the field, sport fails in its representation of women. It's an issue that has taken our next guest around the globe to break world records and driven her to create a new football boot, specially engineered for the female foot. We're kicking things off with Laura Youngson. Yeah, where do you want to start, hey? I think perhaps kick off with equal playing field. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. So um, a few years ago, I just, as you do, got really frustrated um, with um, some of the inequality that I saw happening in the sports world. So, you know, the men's team automatically get funded, the women's team don't. And you're like, oh, we're doing this again. And for some reason... Um, that just triggered this little spark in me and I decided that I wanted to do something about it. So then embarked on this crazy journey and took a bunch of women to the top of Kilimanjaro and we played the world's highest soccer match and got a Guinness World Record. And then that started this wild journey of um, more world records um, and so essentially creating a social change movement, which has been pretty cool. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, but you currently hold two world records and you're about to go for a third. Yeah, that's right. So off the back of the highest altitude match, we got invited to play the lowest altitude match at the Dead Sea in Jordan um, and went there in March this year. And then everyone asked us, you know, what's next? Um, And at that point, we were like, well, probably should keep doing this world record thing. (laughs) So uh, we've cooked up um, a pretty ambitious plan for the World Cup next year in France, the Women's World Cup. Um, We're going to play the world's biggest soccer match. So three and a half thousand athletes from around the globe. Not on the pitch at the same time, to clarify, (laughs) because, you know, people were like, but the pitch won't fit everyone. Uh, But more so 11 aside, roll on, roll off subs, um, Apparently the game's going to last five days. Wow, so for 24 hours. For 24 hours a day. You've got to have referees, you've got to have subs. It's going to be, yeah, going to be pretty big for the fourth official. Well, what's the tryout process like? How is it that people are ending up on these teams? So what we've done is we've just put the call out to people around the world. So we've done, um, we've had about 500 athletes sign up already to take part in the game. Um, so a little way to go, but it's pretty amazing. But the coolest part is we've had 63 nationalities sign up mm-hmm. to be part of this experience. So really um, women and men from around the world coming together to play. Equal playing field is about more than the records themselves, though. Yeah. Do you want to wrap on that a little bit? Yeah. So I think one of the things we saw is that um, the women's game is really, it's underserved and underfunded. And what frustrated us about um, so many things, just kind of the lack of opportunities, the the equal pay. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't know if you know, like the Matildas get $12,000 a year. I mean, like... Wow, really? It's like so lame. Um, and so actually, and respect. So having more stories in the media, I think mm-hmm. one of the stats I read recently is that there's 3% of sports stories are about women. 
which is pretty shocking. So you can't you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we campaign on is looking at how do we create more opportunities for girls to play because there's loads of ramifications, great health benefits. You're more likely to stay in school. You're more likely to end up in the boardroom, like as a CEO if you've played sport. Um, can we at least get a little bit more equality in pay? So some of the national teams have already started doing it. So yeah. New Zealand's done it. Yeah, and just then, you know, the third thing, can you get more stories out there about women mm-hmm. um, who play sport? Um, because it's kind of a normal thing, and yet we don't see it. So that's what we, we focus on, and, and world records are great to kind of generate that excitement, and yeah. then we're able to talk about a lot of these other social issues. So it's really about kind of creating cultural change through that visibility. For sure, um, and building a network of women. So one of the coolest parts of Equal Playing Field is that um, whilst we bring people together, they're creating their own friendships amongst mm-hmm. the, the network of support. And so we have lots of people asking each other for help um, and working out, like, the best thing is actually seeing that everyone has kind of the same problems and this is how you tackle it and this is how you can make change. And I imagine that that network has been particularly valuable when it comes to recruiting players for the next world record attempt. Yeah, for sure. It's it's the question of, all right, call up your mates. Do you fancy doing another <laughs> world record? Yeah, tell your friends. Great. Um, and we've now had teams just getting in touch with us from some of the coolest places, like the Somalian team got in touch recently and they want to come and play. So we're just trying to figure out how we can do that. Exactly. I imagine you'll have to split them up. You can't have them all playing at once against a team of amateur players, for example. Yeah, so we're, quite, um, we're doing a bit of work on the show so that you end up playing because we've got lots of kids playing as well so mm-hmm. getting kids getting you know a roughly matched team but still being able to play from someone from the other side play against someone from the other side of the globe so um, yeah whether you're a Norwegian team and you get to play against a Lebanese team I don't know it's, that's the kind of coolest part of having that cross cross-cultural experience through the language of football and I guess a big part of that and tell me how these two projects tie together is your other project which is Ida which I think came about seeking to create a football boot that actually suits the female foot. Yeah, so um, it's something that's always annoyed me. I love playing, but um, I've always had to wear kids' boots when I play. Um, <laughs> and they just they don't fit very well, and it's terribly uncool to be wearing like 12-year-old boy shoes. Mm-hmm. So actually one of the things I found was that most football boots are made for men and boys and labelled unisex and... Um, Obviously, unisex never means women's. Mm -hmm. So one of the... I embarked on this journey to then um, figure out, like, if this is happening to other people, um, which it is. So a lot of players um, were telling us, yeah, we get blisters, have issues with the boots. Um, They already tried all the the big-name brands and nothing fits, and so set out to create a boot specifically for women. And did that come before or after you became involved with Equal Playing Field? So I actually had the epiphany on the mountain when we were climbing at Kilimanjaro. And I was sort of going along like, oh, I've got to wear these kids' boots again. <laughs> and then started talking to these other players because we had players from about 30 nationalities. And is this a problem where you're from? Yeah. What shoes are you wearing? Men's. Oh, okay. And really started to pull together this mm-hmm. kind of light bulb moment of, oh, this is a problem. And then, oh, we can do something about this. And so to do something about that, you kind of went through this really innovative process where I believe that was where you were part of the Melbourne Master of Entrepreneurship, I should say. Sorry, is that correct? Yeah, so really using design thinking skills and lots of very much the lean methodology. So Mm -hmm. um, how do you 
build, measure and learn from what you're doing in the fastest cycle possible so you, you can use your resources really effectively. So we've done things like prototype with um, 3D printers to create the outsoles to be able wow. to test as fast as possible um, using different materials or just thinking thinking kind of creatively and differently about who is this really a problem for and like what are they how can we solve this in the best possible way mm-hmm. so even even going wider then is it to solve this problem is it a shoe that we're creating um, or is it does it is it that we have to change how we market to women? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that um, kind of really deep thinking is super useful at the beginning because it means you can move so much faster once you actually get to the point where you're creating the solution and you can kind of, yeah, run. Yeah. So we've spoken before, and I believe when we met previously, you were kind of at the period where the product had been developed and you were looking at crowdfunding and marketing and getting the shoe out there into the world. I'm really curious to know, how did that process go? Yeah, so really interestingly, we ran a crowdfunder in June and actually um, raised about $20,000, but it wasn't enough. So okay. we had to then give it all back. And one of the biggest things we learned from doing it, it was um, it's quite funny, actually, one of the professors, when I, I told him I was doing a, a, a valid... Um, uh, crowdfunder he said oh so you're just doing a massive validation test and I was like no we're trying to get money <laughs> and then at the end you're like we were just doing a massive validation test fair enough yeah so always listen to your professors um, but the um, the best thing we found out from it was that actually women really want to try the boots on mm-hmm. so they support the project love the project but I want to know how it fits on There's my it's not the blind buy Exactly. So what we did then is went back to the drawing board and really spent a long time um, working out, like creating a prototype boot that's really true to fit. So we've now created our own um, IP and been testing like the latest iteration of boots with athletes in Melbourne. Oh, fantastic. Um, and got really good feedback from that. So that's helped us now as we move towards a production run. Mm-hmm. So is it a slightly more localized project than it was previously? Well, what we've done actually is because Melbourne is this beautiful sort of home of sports, it has a really high urban density of clubs mm-hmm. and um, especially a lot of women playing lots of different sports. So AFL, football, soccer, um, rugby sevens, uh, touch, um, ultimate frisbee, all those kind of sports. Actually coming back, using Melbourne as a really great proving ground for, for what we're doing. So people are really invested in the project here, but we know that then we can take it global. So it's almost you have to be hyper-local, but mm-hmm. always thinking global. Australia has such a good reputation for um, sports tech and the sports industry. And I mean, they always place well mm-hmm. at the Olympics and the Matildas are doing phenomenally. So to come from Melbourne, it's really an incredible um place to be especially the the boots made of kangaroo leather so there's extra tie in (laughs) everything diversifying a little bit tell me about brunswick aces which is one of your other projects yeah so uh, whilst i was doing the the course at unimelb i um along with our neighbors we we decided one day that we'd start a gin company um and so made it sort of getting ready to do this and then suddenly had this epiphany that um, there's actually a lot of people not drinking. So mm-hmm. something like 24% of Australians don't drink and the number's increasing. So whilst we were looking around, my husband was training for a marathon. He um, was kind of fed up of having you know, lemon-lime bitters in the, yep. when his friends go out to drink. And so we decided we'd create a non-alcoholic spirit company. And so set it up. Um, true kind of starting your garage project and then grow and grow 
um, and just we launched, we've been trading for about a year now, mm -hmm. just had such a phenomenal response um, from people all over Australia who are looking for something different. So again, a business that kind of started very local and has expanded. Yeah, and a very organic growth, I think. It's one of the biggest things I've learned this year is about having your customers so really designing for your customers mm -hmm. so our customers are literally pulling the product out of our hands faster than we can make it wow which is a great position to be in and that's where we're wanting to get to with the boots we we start selling again soon and it's but having that desire from the customers then you know you're really making something that solves it a need in their mm -hmm. their lives you're not trying to force a product or push a product because there there won't be any longevity to your business it's great you mentioned the connection between that having a takeaway from one business which you can apply to another because my next question was going to be how do you find juggling these different projects so yeah um, I do sleep <laughs> yeah no um, I think one thing that I found um, I spend a lot of time building teams mm -hmm. so I do I outsource quite a lot of stuff um, and especially the tasks that I'm really not good at so one of my mentors was talking about strengths and weaknesses and she was like yeah, don't worry well don't worry about your weaknesses they're um they'll hold you back anyway. So um, focus on your strengths and get someone else to help you with your weaknesses. So a lot of the tasks for Equal Playing Field, we have a team around the world, mm -hmm. um, team specialising in communications, in programming, um, uh, monitoring and evaluation, things like that, that really bring things uh, together. And my focus is operations and kind of the logistics that come from like the sports world. Um, and so... Doing that and being able to empower your teams to, to keep running and doing things um, is super important and mm -hmm. enables me to do the thing that I'm best at, which is kind of the strategic vision, like, hey, we're going to go climb a mountain and play a soccer match. So it's all about community thinking and building connection that way. For sure. And I think um, if you've got really invested teams, really like happy people, you know, that yeah. you can be greater than the sum of your parts. So mm -hmm. you end up creating something that has this huge impact when you've just brought your the bit of you to the project. Yeah. How do you kind of organize your day to balance all your projects? Um, I'm really good at triaging. So each morning kind of um, list out what I'm looking at for the day and really hitting off those big tasks first. Mm -hmm. So getting yourself set up so you get those, the, the win of the morning, you're like, yeah, I've done it. And then it <laughs> means you can do all sorts of other tasks. But I'm also, what I've learned a lot about in the past few years is um, knowing when I'm really productive. Mm -hmm. So um, in the early afternoons, not very useful. I kind of mess around. So we, we often with our sports company go and play a bit of sport because you've got too much energy and you've got things to do. Whereas in the morning, I'm really good at um, writing out proposals or getting work mm -hmm. done. So knowing, knowing yourself and knowing when you work best means that you can start to schedule your day. Um, and I also say no to all pretty much all meetings. So right. I just, if it's super important, then we can pick up the phone and have a chat mm -hmm. but um getting rid of a lot of time like that getting rid of social media like go on it for a set time it you tend to waste a lot of time as well so mm -hmm. being more efficient um and really prioritizing what you want to get done that's kind of how i do it you mentioned the win at the beginning there yeah. do you try to give yourself a guaranteed win every day yeah so it's a little bit cheating but um it really helps psychologically so you, you've got a task. So either it's going to be a tough task that you know is going to be a pain mm -hmm. and you really got to work on that and put in some hours or it's something that you can knock off really easily and you're like, yes, done it. <laughs> right, rolling That's into it. the next one. It's like scoring a little goal. You know, once you've got that first goal, it breaks the deadlock and off you go. Yeah. So 
you have the world record coming up. Obviously, that's a huge thing on the horizon. What kind of other future plans and goals do you have lined up? Well, I think, you know, world records are pretty big. So Obviously. That, yeah. <laughs> no, um, we have... So we have a vague plan to do seven world records, seven continents, seven years. Wow. We'll see how we go. We might have to do a Glastonbury and life fallow for a year. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's kind of building on the momentum that we've built and continue to expand that network and provide opportunities for female athletes. Um, and then with the shoes, really launching um, mm-hmm. and getting the boots on the feet of players. And that's going to be super exciting for me just to be able to see people running around in the shoes that we yeah. created. And ideally seeing the players in your world records wearing the boots as well. That would be the dream. (laughs) That would be the dream. Lots of hard work to get there, but I reckon. Fantastic. So do you have any advice for students who are kind of finishing, whether they're undergrad or graduate, and thinking about maybe kind of treading their own path? I think what's interesting is it's one of the things I've realized it's not necessarily a binary decision. Like Mm -hmm. I must go into a, a corporate job or I must do entrepreneurship. I think there's very much this thing where you can test the water on a small project. So um, we talk about the minimum viable product for for businesses. So what's the least thing that you can do that you can get out there to in front of your customers? And if you take your career in that same way, Mm -hmm. is that if you're interested in something, can you do a little something to kind of see if you're more interested in that than another thing? Um, And I liken it to sort of, you start leaning over towards perhaps like an event horizon of a black hole and you're sort of leaning and leaning and leaning. Then eventually you'll just tip head first into entrepreneurship or you'll tip head first into corporate. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's a, a bit of a, yeah, it's a bit of a process as opposed to going, oh, well, I must be an entrepreneur and I must have a unicorn business that's um, in a year, which is kind of virtually impossible. It puts a lot of pressure on. So yeah. biggest advice, lean in and have a little, you know, um, have a have a tinker around and take the pressure off because you'll end up where you need to be eventually. Yeah, that's brilliant. I have one last question for you before we let you go, which is one that we ask all of our guests as we wrap things up. But what's one thing that's not on your resume that you think has helped get you to where you are today? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> so I think one area that, uh, one thing that doesn't, isn't reflected on resumes is, um, is empathy and people. So the, the, the jobs that I list on my resume have incredible stories behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been very fortunate. I said yes to a lot of opportunities. I got to travel around the world um, and meet lots of different people. And I think the the experience of having to connect with people in other cultures, in other languages, in other locations, when you're out of your comfort zone, um, doing lots of different things, it's really sets me up for then I meet anyone and I'm able to talk to them. And so to be able to put yourself in their shoes and have that empathy to connect with what the other person is feeling and and what do they want out of a particular situation. And that helps with business, that helps with relationships, that helps with anything that you're trying to trying to do if you're selling yourself or if you're um, wanting to get a, the next project or you're having a job interview. And that empathy and the connection with people really... You don't, you don't get that when you're reading a resume, right? Yeah. So to be able to think of there's other ways to convey that and express that and the more you can do it the more you'll be prepared for any situation any person and and also bringing that perspective into any conversation you're going to have with a with someone that you're you're connecting with um 
because that's super important and it and it helps you get off on the right foot straight away. Yeah, brilliant. Laura Youngson, thank you for joining us so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. Cheers. This has been Game Changers. I've been your host, Seth Robinson. Game Changers is recorded by Chris Hatzis and produced by Sophie Thomas. <laughs>